Bibles to the Gospel of Luke to chapter 4. We'll pick up in verse 14 this morning. And the danger of religion. Now, I am going to tell you that probably nothing is more dangerous and deadly uh, to the furtherance of the Gospel than religion. And when I say religion, I'm not talking about relationship that we have with our Savior, Jesus Christ, who brings us into the right relationship with God the Father. I'm talking about organized religion. And we're going to see in this passage this morning the danger uh, that persists to this day. Uh, I can tell you that I was not ready in my first few years in ministry for the attacks that would come from within the church. People exercising the wonderful gift of discouragement. The left boot of fellowship. The absolute ability to quench the Spirit at any given moment. Uh, For the complaining, the whining, the grumbling, the infighting, the nitpicking, the people that were on one side of a theological bent versus the people on the other side of a theological bent. That has kept people from finding the real Jesus since the day that Jesus walked on this earth. And it still does its dirty work today. And so Jesus this morning is going to begin speaking to a group of people who were right where you would expect them to be on the Sabbath. They were Jewish people, and on the Sabbath they were in synagogue. Amen? At that day and time, these were the most religious people on the face of the earth. They were the one group. Remember, Islam did not come into existence until the mid-600s A.D. Okay? 600 years later from this place. So there was exactly one monotheistic religion on the face of the earth. That was Judaism. In that, there was only one group of people who were worshiping the true and the living God. That was the Jews. And as they worshiped the true and the living God, they had in their hands, in the form of scrolls, virtually all of what we call the Old Testament. Both the Torah and the Tanakh. And as they read those passages that you and I can now read in light of also having the gospel, within it was Elijah who is to come, the prophet who would be like Moses and yet greater, the Messiah, the Lord of glory, the one who would come, who would bring salvation to mankind, the one whom Isaiah 9-6 clearly declared, the one whom we now know was Jesus the Christ. They had read those passages of Scripture in synagogue. And they were very religious. But religious can blind, religion can blind people. Matter of fact, it can make you think that you don't actually need Jesus. And I want you to see where this goes this morning 
It was uh, the hicks from the sticks versus the slicks from the clicks in Jerusalem. So it was absolutely that Jesus was there with these people in the region of Galilee. At that day and time, the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee, specifically the west shore of the Sea of Galilee, was dotted with little tiny settlements, many of which you know. Cana of Galilee was there. Capernaum was there. Tiberias was there. These Gardeness, the place where the demons would eventually go into the sea. All of those little cities dotted around the shoreline, the ruins of which are still there. Jesus is now going to go from his hometown to that, to that area as soon as we leave this story. And he's preaching in these little synagogues in these towns. He's going to church. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. And we rejoice and we are glad in it, God. We thank you that salvation comes by grace and through faith. And Lord, it's not a religious exercise. Lord, it never has been about what church you attend or what group you belong to. It's never been about the traditions of man. All of the Old Testament pointed to the one true Savior. And the New Testament tells us that you are him, Lord Jesus. That there is one faith, one Lord, one hope, one baptism, one Lord over all, just as your word declares there in Ephesians 4. And so God, as we study your word, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you took time from your schedule to go and preach in the synagogue. May we hear today and may we apply it as we should. We bless you. We thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pick up now in verse 14 here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. And then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Remember, he's just come from his baptism. He's gone into the wilderness. He's been tempted. And now he's going to begin his ministry. And the news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So it sounds initially like a pretty wonderful story. Amen? Jesus has been anointed in the Spirit. He's now going to minister in his home region. Uh, He's specifically going to be in Nazareth. He's going to teach in one of the synagogues down by the seashore. And so it, it sounds all good. sounds wonderful. What's wrong with that? And so he came up to Nazareth. Now, from the Sea of Galilee to the city of Nazareth is up a little more than a thousand feet. And Nazareth itself sits in a little tiny valley, actually in the top of a mountain ridge. And so Jesus is traveling to the west, not very far in miles, but quite a bit up to his hometown. And so he gets to Nazareth. And it's important that you keep this in mind, because with familiarity, can very often come contempt. He's going back to where he was raised. The people there would certainly know, hey, and they're going to say it, isn't this the carpenter's son? And so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, this wasn't the first time that Jesus had stepped into the synagogue in Nazareth. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. 
And so at this time, Jesus, being a Jew, would have every Sabbath been found in a synagogue. And at that time, any able-bodied Jewish man who was over the age of 12, providing that they could read, would be allowed to do what Jesus is about to do, which was to read the passage of Scripture for the day. Jesus has been doing this for a long time. Nothing new. And so, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. It was likely a scroll, much like the one that's contained in the shrine of the book this day. No doubt at least 40 or 50 feet long, as that one is. He's handed the scroll. Two scrolls is what it looks like. One would be the side to which the passage would be rolled to, and the other one in the middle would allow you to read the section that you've rolled to, and then on the other side would be the balance of whatever was left of the book. So scroll on the right, scroll on the left, reading from left to right. So Jesus, being the Word apparently turned to exactly the passage of Scripture that he felt was appropriate for the day, and we're going to see that this absolutely must be true by what he says. I also, before we get there, want to draw your attention to something. He is not going to read from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2 fully. He's going to stop in the middle of verse 2 for a very important reason. And so he hands the book, and he found the place where it was written. So it seems to indicate, Dr. Luke recording, he knew exactly what he wanted to say. Can I tell you that Jesus knows exactly what he wants to say to you? Exactly what he wants to say to you. And the words will come to you. The question is, are you listening and will you obey? That's the question. And so he picks up what we would call verse, chapter 61 and verse 1 of the book of Isaiah. Of course, at that time it was a single scroll. It did not have chapters and verses. So he would have scrolled through the whole entire book of Isaiah to this point. That's a lot of scrolling. You guys can't find this passage if I tell you where to go. And you have little thumb dividers. Amen? Jesus just goes, ah, there it is. After all, I am that. I wrote that. And it says there in verse 1 in your Bible, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You're going to notice the Trinity at work in this passage, by the way. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Where had he just been? Baptized, the Spirit descends upon him. He goes and is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's tested by the devil. He not only survives that attack, but thrives in that attack. The Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus. Because he has anointed me. Do you realize what that word is? That is the same word that we would call anointed or Messiah. His mission was that he had come to save mankind. He is anointed for He, notice the capitalized H-E, that being His Father God. So the Holy Spirit is upon Him, the Messiah, the Anointed One, for He has anointed me. What? 
to preach the gospel to the poor. For he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. So all three persons of the Godhead at work here. God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that the world through him would be saved. Amen? Notice what he's saying. Very important you get this. To heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For there is none righteous, not one. For everyone's righteousness is as filthy rags. For the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. And who can know it? Amen? That's all of us. He said, I'm here with a message. And recovery of sight to the blind. What were the Jewish people? They were blinded. And they were blinded by religion. They were blinded in the fact that they had been so favored by God as to be handed the prophets in their own midst, whom they had stoned. They had been given the only revelation of God to this earth in written form, and yet they missed the message. You talk about blind. And to set at liberty those who were oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. If you know your Bible, we discussed it, we discovered it, we looked at it. We were in Daniel chapter 9 and in verse 24, there is a prophecy of 70 weeks. 69 of those weeks completed. A final week is yet to come to pass. Those are weeks of years. Seven year periods of time. And from the time of the coming of the Messiah, the Prince, that last final period of human history, he says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What he's saying is, the age of grace is upon you. He's speaking of the Hebrew year of Jubilee, which was a time when all of your slaves were set free, the land was allowed to lay fallow. He says, I'm here to declare freedom from bondage. And then he closed the book. And I want you to notice how well it seems to be going at first. And he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. They're like, wow, that's awesome. I think Rabbi Cohen read that passage a couple of years ago. I hadn't really remembered that one. And he began to say to them, and here's where it goes nuts. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He says, listen up, hear me well. The reason I'm here is because I've been empowered by the Spirit, sent by God the Father to bring the message of freedom to y'all. To every last one of all y'all. And it don't matter how long you've been going to synagogue. I don't care if you built the place with your own bare hands and you provided the funds necessary to get it done for the things that needed to be here. 
Doesn't matter to me how long you've been attending synagogue. I'm here to preach the gospel to you. Things shift a little bit. And so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And then they said, hey, wait a second. Isn't that Joseph the carpenter's son? Staring at him. You see, at first, they're going, Amen, brother. Preach it. Hallelujah. Love that passage. Heard it before. Glory. (laughs) Doing a little pogo dance, getting a sweat towel on. We love that passage. Did he just say that was about us? He said that was about us. He just said it's fulfilled in our hearing. That's the carpenter's son. You see, that's what religion does. That's what familiarity does. That's what going to church and not being a doer of the Word does. That's what happens when you're only a hearer. That's what happens when you think it doesn't apply to you. You see, you can hear the truth and not be a doer of the truth. You can hear the Gospel and not surrender to the Gospel. He's a carpenter. I don't have to listen to him. Really. Let me share with you. The truth is the truth. Amen? And the vehicle whereby it comes does not change the fact that it's a truth. And so when the gospel is preached, whether it comes from the lips of a carpenter's son or the most powerful pastor that's ever been on this planet, the truth is Jesus Christ is Lord. He was preaching the gospel and he said, you guys need the gospel. That's what ticked him off. Notice where it goes. This is not Joseph's son, the carpenter's son. I was around when you were you were a little tiny. You were running around Nazareth. You're the one that built those rickety chairs that fell apart in my house. And he said to them, and you can tell that he was prepared for what was going to happen in the spirit. For surely you will say this proverb to me. Why don't you suck back some of your own medicine? Oh, no, it says, physician, heal yourself. Yeah, you first. You kind of get the the whole playground mentality here. We're not listening to you. Jesus even knows what they're going to say, how they're going to respond. Yeah, well, you better listen because it applies. Well, if I was like you and hadn't just come from being tested by the devil and not succumbed to sin, that would be true. But it's not true because I'm not exactly you. Man, yes. God, yes. One and the same. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we've heard done in Capernaum, 
do also here in your country. They're saying, prove it. You get it? They're like, they pick up this whole story. They're like, we're not listening to you. You're the carpenter's son. We're not listening to you. You know what kids do? They plug their ears. I'm not listening to you. Jesus looks at him and says, now here's what you guys are going to do. You're going to tell me I ought to go heal myself. Do a miracle. If you're really God, do a miracle. Can I tell you that the Lord Jesus doesn't respond to your threats? He is sovereign king of the universe, and he does what he does when he wants to do it. And all your pressure to get him to do whatever you want him to do ain't going to work. Didn't work here. Notice what he says. And he said, Assuredly, I say to you that no prophet is accepted in his own country. What had they done to all the previous prophets? Uh, Killed them, generally speaking. Murdered them, slaughtered them. Killed them. They certainly didn't listen to them. If you understand, understand anything about the history of the Jewish people, when the prophet came and spoke about the Assyrian invasion, what happened? Oh, the Assyrians came and took them into captivity and killed them. When the prophet spoke about the Babylonian captivity, what happened? Uh, The Babylonians came and killed them and took them into captivity. They didn't listen. No prophet. Not from day one. They didn't listen to Moses. Moses didn't get back down to the bottom of the mountain, did he, before they were biffing it? They're down at the bottom. Well, he's been gone 40 days. We need a new prophet. Yeah, he's coming back down the mountain with the very word of God, having had God pass by in the cleft of the rock. And he comes back down, and what's his own brother doing? Well, we didn't really make these false gods. We just put our jewelry in the fire, and the cows came out. Read your Bible. That's what it says, by the way. We didn't make those. People have not been listening to the word of God for a very long time. So it should not surprise you that you can go to very religious places where you will find people who have not been listening to the Word of God for a very long time. For assuredly, and I'll finish this, I say to you that no prophet is accepted in his own country, but I tell you truly that many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. And when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land, there were widows of both Jews and Gentiles. Now I want you to notice what happens here. Two things. But none of them was Elijah sent to except Zarephath. Zarephath was in Sidon. It was a Gentile country. It wasn't filled with Jews. There were Jewish widows. And where does God send Elijah? To the Gentiles. Booyah! But they weren't listening. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, the woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha. So Elijah and Elisha, the two biggies, the top guns of propheticdom, the large ones, the great Elijah, the prophet who defeated the prophets of Baal. And where does God send him? to a little widow at Zarephath. The one who takes over for him. You know the story. Elijah leaves. Elisha takes over. What happens? 
None of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. Also a Gentile. Do you realize what he's just said? I'm the one who's come to set the captives free. And as you hear this, it applies to you. And the two cases that he gives are both Gentiles who by faith believed. The Jews are going, Ah! Their ears are like pierced through with these words. That's throwing a stone into our gears. I mean, we're God's chosen people. I'm of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What are you saying? Well, I'm of Greg and Chuck and Mike and Roll. You know, we all have our worldly people we follow. The question is, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a believer in Jesus? Have you accepted Christ as Savior and therefore He's Lord? They had none of it. They'd simply been religious. I have a couple of pictures to show you. And in this first slide, you can't quite see it, but this is really funny. This is the Sea of Galilee, by the way, which is actually a big lake. But if you go to the church that is the Church of the Loaves and Fishes, see, there's a, there's a Catholic church on virtually absolutely every inch of the region of Galilee. And this one happens to be the Church of the Loaves and Fishes. And right outside of it, to show you what religion does, you see this welcome sign, which how it, it's in Hebrew and Arabic at the same time, and they expect that to work out. I don't exactly know, but that's what it says. And it says, please in, respect instructions. And then down at the bottom it says, no littering, no shorts, no swimming, no guns. That's, that, you really don't want that in Israel. And no dogs. Now this is the first thing you see when you come up to the church of the loaves and fishes. In other words, stay out. And down at the bottom, custody of the Holy Land, a private holy place. That's religion. Well, Jesus did the loaves. We'll make a church. You know, three people got saved. We'll, we'll put up a monument. Somebody got saved. Well, we'll just build a, we'll build a building. Do you remember the disciples? Well, we'll just build, we'll build an altar right here to Moses and Elijah, to you. People love churches and monuments. Go ahead and go to that next slide. This is actually out in front of the church. It's got a wrought iron fence that's like eight feet tall, and it's got natural barbed wire. That's bougainvillea. If you know anything about bougainvillea, don't go in it. It's got thorns like five feet long. Go right through your body. You'll die. It's completely covered. And on top of it, it's got razor ribbon. And then down at the bottom it says, Church of the Loaves and Fishes. In other words, welcome, now go away. You can't even see most of it. That's what religion does. And finally, i got one more for you. These are kind of funny. This is the actual baptism side of John. That's the Jewish side. The other side is the Jordanian side. And over here... That's an armed Israeli soldier guarding the people who are getting baptized. On the other side, there's Jordanian soldiers guarding the people who are getting baptized. And each side has, well, we're the real spot. It's like, over here are the people that got baptized in Jordan, and over here are the people that got baptized in Israel, and we got dunked, and we got spunked, and we got skunked, and 
It's that's what religion does. It's always done that. Why am I telling you this? Because it's still the same today. People are, well, you don't have the real baptism. You know how many baptismal sites there are that are supposedly the real one on the River Jordan? Nine. There are nine baptismal sites that claim to be the real one. Well, we know because we found a leather thong from a sandal at our site. And we know because it's right directly, this one happens to be directly adjacent Jerusalem to the east. So it's the closest place. And you know what happens? Well, your church isn't real. That's what religion does. Religion keeps people from Christ. It causes people to worry more about what building they're in or what group they belong to. And I think there's a couple of things that we can look at and draw from this this passage as we put this all together this morning. Family of God, it is a travesty when you can't see the Messiah for all of the churchiness. Amen? And that's really the picture here. You, you see, Jesus is in the most religious place on earth at the time, but what they didn't want was exactly what we need. Religious people reject Christ for the very same reasons that people still who are religious actually reject Christ, and that is they want the Savior, but they don't want the Lord. Well, don't mess with us. Okay, we're good with the whole Savior thing. But this Lordship thing, I'm not so okay with that. In other words, you're going to be the master now? No, I don't think so. I mean, we've been in the same church. I mean, this is the ninth generation of our family that sat in this pew. Family, when you get to that place to where you care more about the building than you do people, when you care more about what happens to the stuff than you do to the hearts, minds, and souls, you're lost. I, I, I'm a recovering Baptist, okay? And I have wonderful Baptist friends. I, you just have to know that. I'm a recovering Baptist. I stopped going to church because of church. I quit going to church because of church. And I'll give you a couple of things. This is what happens when religion replaces relationship. At the time, I I had real hair. I mean flowing golden locks of hair. I know it's hard to understand, but just... Roll with it and envision in your mind that I actually had hair. Long, beautiful hair. And I had gone away to Bill Bright's basic youth concepts, and I had come back, and I'd spent some time just waiting on the Lord, and God had clearly told me that I was supposed to be involved somehow in ministry. So, me being stupid and thinking that, well, if I'm supposed to serve Jesus, the place that I do that's in church, I go back to church. My church. The church that I was baptized in. The church that my wife and I were married in, ultimately. And I'm standing in the narthex of the church, and I'm getting ready to go down. I want to go sit down. I want some glory. And two of the ushers 
block the aisle. They're saying, well, you can't go in there. Do I have leprosy? What? Your hair is not acceptable on a man in this church. If you would like to sit in the narthex out here in the lobby, you can sit out here, but you're not welcome with the real saved people who are in there. This, by the way, is exactly when Calvary Chapel started. This is 1968-69. I'm like, man, I don't get it. I thought Jesus had long hair. I thought I looked like Jesus. I guess you're right, I must not be saved because I have long hair. That's what Jesus was saying. I have come to set captives free, to loose the bonds that have kept you. I have come to be salvation. That same church, I saw it split. We had the non-air-conditioned people and the air-conditioned people. It took a year to decide what color the church was going to be painted by the time it went through all the committees. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, there's something seriously wrong with this. Because Christians don't actually love each other. Hence the importance of the Savior's words Himself. By this all men will know that you are my disciples indeed, if you have love one for another. You see, the Gospel message goes forth not in the person who presents it, but in the one who is it. Jesus is the living gospel. And he says, I've come to set you guys free. And they're going, well, you can't do that. we got church to attend to here. I mean, this thing's made out of marble and granite, and it isn't easily moved. You, you see, they were more worried about preserving the past than proceeding in the present. Now, family, I want you to know something here. We have to accept Jesus as He is. You don't get to determine who Jesus is, okay? Jesus is both Savior and Lord, and if He's not Lord, I doubt very seriously that He's actually Savior. Because if there's no change... If you don't have in view that I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and therefore I'm going to offer my body as a living sacrifice which is holy and acceptable to the Lord, then you're missing the part that Jesus is getting at here. Because you can be overtly religious all day long and still be about as far away from God as you can possibly get. And the world's full of religious people. And I'm not judging anybody's salvation, and I'm not looking at those deacons who kept me out of church because my hair was too long and thinking anything evil of them. I know they were told to do that, and I have since reconciled with both those gentlemen. Matter of fact, both of them are home with the Lord now, receiving their reward. But I can tell you this. Religion can push you away from the real king from the real Lord, from the real Savior. You, you see, what they begin to say is, we're not taking this from you. You're some punk kid. We're not listening to you. I mean, 
I went to synagogue school in Jerusalem. And we've been doing this this way for a couple jillion years now, and we're just not going to have it. None of it. We're not going to do it. You see, what they didn't want was the lordship of Jesus Christ. They weren't going to let this Galilean carpenter be master. Not going to happen. There's a second thing that's in view here as we wrap this up. You see, they believed that they were good. Matter of fact, worse than that, they believed they were better than everybody else. How many people have been kept from the kingdom of God because the one person that had the gospel message told them they weren't good enough? The person that had the gospel message said, I'm better. That's why Jesus used these two examples of Gentiles who came to a saving knowledge ultimately by faith. They waited in Sheol until Jesus said it is finished. They may have lived on all the way until the crucifixion. I'm sure that that's not really likely to have happened, but I can guarantee you, you're going to see the widow at Nain in heaven. I guarantee you, you'll see Naaman in heaven, having believed by faith. And they were Gentiles. The Jews hated the Gentiles. The Jews said, well, we're of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God gave us this land. That's why we're here. This is the promised land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you guys think you're entitled to it. You need to be like us. You ever wondered why Paul wrote the book of Galatians? It's because that legalistic attitude is still alive today that says, well, I keep the law. I'm better. Not one of us deserves salvation. Not one of us will ever get to heaven because of our innate goodness. Basically, we are not good at all. Your Bible says so, by the way. For there is none righteous, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. Look at the Romans road. 3.23, You look at... 5 8, you look at 7 8. Look at these passages in Romans where Paul is going, Look, this is the situation. This is the deal. Do you remember who Paul was? He was a Pharisee. He was one of the most religious guys of his day. And it had blinded him so much so that he needed to be blinded on the road to Damascus. Amen? He was so blind that God had to blind him. And then the light went on. And so who does he share to? Who does he walk the roads? He goes to the Gentiles. A Jew. He's also a member of the Sanhedrin. The the ruling religious court. He was present at the stoning of Stephen. And here, he's saying, By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's the gift of God. That there is no difference in God's economy between a Jew and a Gentile. Because we're all saved the same way. It's what Jesus said to this crowd. And so as you might imagine, that stirred up their ire just a little bit. The people of Nazareth come unglued. This is Joseph's son. I mean, we're the churchy people. 
I mean, we go to midweek. I've got a one-year Bible on my desk. I've been involved in Gideon's. By the way, all these things are very good things. But if they replace Jesus in your life, you're in trouble. Because Jesus actually said to the Pharisees, He says, you know what? What's really interesting here is you guys search the Scriptures because you think that in them there's life. But I have come to give you life, and that life is an abundant life. It's not because you have a big Bible. It's not even because you read the Bible. It's because Jesus is Lord. That's how we get saved. That's what your Bible says, by the way. You see that familiarity had produced a result in these people. He's just messing with our church. And we can't have this. This goes off like a bomb in church. They're like, we got to do something about this guy. I mean, attendance is going to be down. I mean, if people can get saved and they don't need this, we're going to lose membership. We're going to lose money. People are going to start actually, actually worshiping God instead of church. Can I tell you that people worship church still today? There are a lot of people on this earth who worship church. And they run to that church every time something's going on in their life. They have no relationship, but they're in love with church. Church can't save you. Church saves no one. Now, prayerfully, in church, the gospel will be presented. The basic truth of the fact that Jesus Christ is God's only begotten Son, that if you believe that He is who He said He is, that He lived a sinless life, He died on Calvary's cross, He was buried in the grave, He was raised three days later, He now exists in heaven as an intercessor, He's coming again. You believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. But that's not because of the walls that you go to. It's not because of the denomination you belong to. It's because Jesus Christ alone is Lord. Period. Nothing. Calvary Chapel can't save you. I can't save you. Jesus alone can save you. That was the message they got. Today, in your hearing... Have these words been fulfilled? I'm Messiah. He stopped in the middle of the second verse of Isaiah 61. It goes on to say, In the day of the vengeance of our Lord. Why? Because right now, when Jesus stopped, he put a comma. And he said, On this side is the age of grace, but there's coming a time when the age of grace will end. And God's going to come back. God's Son will return to this earth as the rightful deed holder to this planet and all who are on it. And when he comes that second time, he's coming as a warrior king to conquer. So you can have the age of grace, which is now, and there's still time. Or you can wait till later. And Jesus said, that's later. I'm stopping here. I'm not going to tell you this part. 
What you need to know is God's grace is available right now to as many as believed. You see, he was saying, guys, there's a new paradigm. There's been a shift in God's dealing with mankind. It's no longer through this religious system. It's no longer through these buildings. It's no longer through the sacrifices. It's through God's only Son. And I'm Him. So what do they do? (laughs) They go to the Mount of Precipitation. This, This place that's to the south end of the city of Nazareth. The city of Nazareth being up on a hill, basically, but it's actually still in the valley. And there in that, on that cliff, several hundred feet tall, they're going to huck Jesus to his death. Can I tell you that church is still trying to huck Jesus to his death? They want people to be saved just from going to church. I call it salvation by organization. You just belong to the right group of people, you'll be okay. And I'm not picking on anybody. But, of course, there's about 1.3 billion people on this planet who believe in salvation by organization. They're called Catholics. But there's only one true church, and you better belong to that church, or you got a problem with God. Not true. You're saved because of Jesus. Period. Indo conversation. Not by what organization you belong to. And that includes Calvary Chapel, by the way. There are people that believe all roads lead to heaven. Also not true. For there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. Jesus was saying, in essence, before he actually said it, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And this is fulfilled in your hearing today. Religion builds shrines. Relationship builds lives. I pray that we're building a relationship with the Savior who loves us. As you finish this passage, you can't help but realize that what Jesus did was say to them, you know, guys, you, you can put your hands on me all you want, but I am God eternal. And my time to pass into my Father's presence isn't yet. And if you brought out the whole population of the town of Nazareth, you are not chucking me off that cliff. And so he simply vanished. But he told them the truth. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. If you listen to the truth, if you obey the truth, if you cling to the truth, then you go preach the truth. Amen? It was fulfilled then and still sufficient today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. (laughs) for this amazing plan that included that little widow of Nain in the tiny village of Zarephath, fed by ravens, Lord, as Elijah knew. Lord, that a guy with leprosy like Naaman could simply go wash and be cleaned. God, what a beautiful picture of how you work in our lives. And 
Lord, we want to pray specifically if there's anyone here today that came into this building thinking this was a religious place. Lord, it's anything but. This is a place of relationship with the King, with our Lord, with our Savior. Pray that you would impress upon us, Lord, the necessity for us to believe and to receive. Lord, not to to be a part of something, but to be found in someone. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for these words that were strong and timely. God, would your word speak to us still today in a strong and a timely fashion. We're grateful for the grace that we walk in and have been brought near to to Father God because of. We offer up our lives again just afresh and anew. Use us, Lord, for the purpose of the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.